Welcome back to What's New with Mead. Um, today I have something pretty exciting for us to do, and that is I am going to give you my top 10 um, mead, favorite meads I've ever made. Now I'm just going to be talking specifically about meads. I have made beers and wines before, but today is all about the meads because this is What's New with Mead. So I'm excited to share that with you all. And um, to kind of commemorate this, this cool thing, uh, I have pulled out mead number 13 of my list and I actually did a review of it on my Man-Made Mead Extras channel, um, if you want to go check that out. But this is my strawberry and banana mead. And uh, I recently hit 100 recipes in general. Again, like I said, I've done wines and beers. So I think 95 of the recipes I've made have been meads, and then I've made some beers and wines in between. But uh, I'm almost at 100 mead recipes, which is cool. So this is what I'm, I'm drinking, this strawberry and banana mead. Um, I do have some info about it, and I'll go ahead and share that with you all. Um, this one is a year and six, I'm sorry, not a year, two years and six months old at this point. And um, I use the 71 bee yeast, three pounds of Desert Creek honey, four pounds of strawberries, two pounds of bananas um, in the secondary. And I think, hold on, I got to look on here. Uh, this thing is pretty light. Ooh, I didn't realize it was, this, it was so light. Um, I started the gravity at, um, 1.09. So this thing's about a 12%. That's not super light, but it's definitely, um, I thought it was a little bit heavier. So interesting. This thing's really good. Bananas, uh, the bananas themselves have added a lot of mouthfeel. That's one thing that uh, I want to share with you guys is that when you're making a mead or really anything wine in any case, if you use um, bananas, you are probably not using them to get the flavor because in general, banana flavor does not impart into meads and wines well. Rather, people use them for mouthfeel. So the mouthfeel of this thing, very full-bodied. It's really, really, really good. I'm uh, super pleased with it. So it tastes like a, um, I still can't remember the name of the jelly bean, but it's like a tutti fruity kind of um, jelly bean. It's kind of what it tastes like, like to me. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's what I'm gonna be sipping on. Now let's talk about um, my favorite meads that I've ever made. And I'm gonna discuss all of them. I've tried to go through and rank every single one, not every single one, but my top 10. Uh, most memorable ones I've made and things that I would put on my list as standards for my brew house. Um, so a lot of people, you know, when you start making meads, you find the things you like, you find what other people like and find successful. And I definitely have found some success with some other things. So let me first, um, let's just go ahead and jump right into the ranking system. Now I'm not going to, um, uh, I'm not going to, Start at one, because that's kind of lame. I'm gonna start at number 10. So number 10, my 10th favorite mead I have ever made, and one that I've made quite a bit now actually, is my OK Boche. So uh, it's OK and then Boche. And I named it that because I live in Oklahoma for one, and then I think the OK and Boche, they go together. Boche is one of those words that a lot of people um, don't know how to say. And so I think when you put those words together, they can kind of figure that out. So it's a chocolate and vanilla Boche. Now, each time I've made it, I've made it a little bit differently because the bocheing process is really hard to be extremely precise on. 
you can't really recreate the exact same boucher unless you are heating at the exact same rate, getting to a bunch of different things that are just hard to recreate. So um, I always take this mead and put, uh, I make a boucher, probably caramelizing my honey for an hour, whatever honey I'm using. I've used a bunch of different honeys at this point to do it. And then in the secondary, after it ferments, I start to put in cocoa nibs or cacao nibs, however it's said, I still probably say it wrong, uh, and some vanilla bean or vanilla extract, depending on which one. Um, I, I'm not gonna give you exact ratios because if you're wanting to make a five gallon batch, I, I can give you a one gallon and then you can scale it if you want. So normally I would take and make, uh, I'd do three pounds of Beauchade honey, a gallon of water, and let's say a Lauvin EC1118 packet, because I kind of like that one. Um, in the secondary, I normally use probably somewhere in the realm of three or four ounces of cocoa nibs, cacao nibs, and um, if I'm using a vanilla bean, like a half of vanilla bean, uh, or even a full van vanilla bean, even though I know they're expensive, you can of course scale that. The vanilla bean goes a long way, so you probably don't need a full one for one gallon, um, you could split it up if you need to those, do those things. That one's really good. I love, I love Beauchets because they, the caramelizing of the honey creates even more flavor while you are burning some of the sugar so they're not fermentable, which leaves residual sweetness. You're also changing the flavor of that, you know, of the honey itself. So in almost every single Beauchet I've ever done, I've ended up kind of capturing this um, whiskey spirit note. And I really like that. I drink a lot of whiskey. Um, and so I, I think it's really interesting to get that from a mead as well. So that's number 10, my OK Boucher, my chocolate vanilla Boucher. Number nine is also a Boucher. And this one's a little more um, exclusive because I only have one version of it, but I plan on creating more. It is my 10K Boucher. So this mead is one that I made um, when I hit 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. I was really excited to do something. So I did a live stream and it actually turned into one of these um, these podcast episodes. So if you wanna go check that out, that's the 10K Beauchet. And I did the whole process of Beaucheting um, the honey. This one was four pounds of, I believe, orange blossom honey. And what made this one unique is that I used more honey in the beginning, so I was left with a higher gravity mead and also a little sweeter in general um, mead. But I really like this one because I added an oak spiral in the secondary and let that sit for probably 30 days um, on the oak spiral. So that one turned out to be really, really good because not you're getting the same notes I talked about from the Beauchang process in general, like the whiskey notes, you're getting this caramelization, caramel notes from the honey, your floral notes, or in that case, I had fruity notes from orange blossom honey. And the oak spiral itself had a lot of vanilla character. So it's very similar to that OK Beauchang, a little bit different. Um, and it, the oak spiral also added, added some tannic mouthfeel to it. So the mouthfeel is very full-bodied. Um, is a really, really fantastic mead. And I still have some bottles. I'd like to recreate it. I'd like to do more oaking of meads in the future. It's just doing it at this point. So um, I used 
the oak spiral, which you could do a bunch of different things. If you want to oak anything, you can use oak spirals. You can use, um, what's it called? Uh, oak chips. You can use oak cubes. I've used that before. Uh, I've actually taken some oak cubes at one point and soaked them in whiskey and then added that. The I poured the whiskey off of the oak cubes, which was... Um, uh, pretty, I mean, pretty easy in general. I tried the whiskey after it had been on the oak cubes, and it was, it was so tannic. It was, it was a lot to handle. But the oak cubes themselves had the whiskey notes in them, and that imparted flavor in a brew I did one time really well. I can't remember what I put it in though. It was like a small batch or something. Anyways, that's one idea. So there's a lot you can do with uh, oak. There are a lot of different options. Um, oak spirals have just been really cool for me, and the one that I got. Uh, was it is pretty easy to break apart as you needed to. So instead of having to put a whole oak spiral, which is normally graded for three gallons, I was able to break it to where it fit into a um, one gallon. So just kind of interesting. Hmm. Now, number eight. Um, yet another one I have not made a bunch of versions of. However, I was very, very pleased with it. I did a video on YouTube about the cheapest meat I could make without doing equipment. Now, I understand some of you are gonna hear this and go, I can make a cheaper mead. That's not my argument here. I made a $12 traditional mead with um, some honey, three pounds of honey I got from Sam's. It was just some regular like clover honey, nothing super uh, special. Of course, it was raw and filtered, which is important. But it wasn't like a special, special kind of honey. Um, and then I used the Lauvin, I believe D47, and a gallon of water. So in total, it ended up being basically $12. That mead was actually really, really good from a young age. And I don't know if I just hit a sweet spot with it, because not all of my traditionals like that have ended up very good. Um, but it the retention of, of um, honey character, floral character from that honey was actually um, really nice. So I like that one and I'm gonna try and recreate it. I do think that it could have been a little sweeter. Uh, not that, I, that sweetness is everything, but um, when you're giving your meads to your friends, family, whoever, oftentimes you wanna have something that's a little sweet unless they're a dry kind of person because most people like sweeter things. So that $12 traditional was one that I really liked that I'd like to create, recreate at some point. Now, moving on, um, this one is not even finished. Well, it's finished, it's not bottled, I should say. I have made a, I made a mesquite blossom traditional mead with mesquite blossom honey. And uh, I think it was about three pounds of mesquite blossom honey from Dutch gold per gallon. And I'd have to look at my notes to see real fast. Yeah, that one it was um, had the Lauvin EC1118 as its base, and uh, or as its yeast. And it that one turned out really fantastic from the beginning. It went dry, and it has really smoky notes because I think in in the mesquite blossom world you're getting smoky notes in general. It's very woody. Um, it has some floral character. It's not necessarily um, the brightest honey. It's kind of dark, but it was still pretty good in general. So I had that, and I didn't have any more mesquite blossom honey. I just recently did this. 
I had I bought some buckwheat honey, which if you've never tried buckwheat honey, it is a very very interesting kind of honey. It is very grassy, very um, very earthy. You get like a malty side from it. To me, it tastes like um, a dark malt extract for a beer, and uh, like molassesy kind of <clears throat> not necessarily body to it, but. Anyways, the, the character of the honey is really interesting, and I thought this mesquite plus the um, buckwheat would be really interesting, and I did back-sweeten with buckwheat honey, and that thing is fantastic. I am very, very excited to go ahead and bottle that one because I think it will turn out, um, it's just going to be really good, and it already is really good. The, the cautionary thing I will tell you is that if you're going to back-sweeten something and the yeast are still able to ferment and... Um, you know, do their thing, you're just going to eat up the sugars you add. So you're going to have to stabilize in some manner, whether that be potassium sorbate or metabisulfite. Maybe you have to uh, pasteurize it or cold crash it a bunch, do something like that. But you don't want to restart fermentation if that's not your intention. So that was one of my favorites um, as of recently. Again, it's not bottled, but it's one that I'm going to recreate even more. The only problem with it is that you're using two different kinds of honey. So you really have to be on top of, you know, having those honeys around. I do plan on doing more honey mixing and matching in the future. And those two go really well together. In my opinion, mesquite and buckwheat. Uh, I've used a ton of different honeys at this point. Uh, mesquite, buckwheat, orange blossom, alpha, alpha blossom, avocado, just straight up clover, wildflower, um, tupelo. I think that's all I've used. So I've used all those kinds of honeys and um, they all have very unique characters and flavors and those things. But uh, yeah, so that's it. That was, that was number seven. Now this next one, number six is one that I think I could recreate pretty easily. Maybe it's a, another boche. I have a lot of boches on this list. Um, it is an apple pie boche. So I created... I'm not going to talk about the boshang process again. I made a boshade some honey, um, and then I fermented through that. I think I'd used like three to three and a half pounds of honey. I can't remember exactly what kind it was. And in the secondary, I added Amaretti's apple pie flavoring. So the flavoring itself um, tastes exactly like an apple pie, which is very cinnamony. They did capture a little bit of the, um, crust ish kind of not a ton though. Um, of course you get apple in general. It's got a lot of baking spices to it mixed in with the caramel notes you get from that boche. It turned into this fantastic mead and I really, really liked it. I would love to do it again. I didn't have to use much, um, apple pie, uh, flavoring. I think I maybe used one and a half ounces for the gallon, and those Amaretti products normally come with come in. Uh, I think eight ounces generally. So that one turned out to be really really good, um, and I will gladly recreate that again in probably a bigger batch. It's a very specialty mead. Like you're not gonna sit there and drink, um, you know, two or three glasses of it because it's kind of desserty. It was a little sweet um, because of the Boshang process. And then of course the Amaretti has some sugar into it in it. So if you stabilize in any way, you're just back sweetening. But that one's really good. I really like that a lot. And um, yeah. Next, number five, 
Um, this one is one that I'm actually currently in the process of making again. I have been on this um, grand adventure to create um, a very, I'm not gonna say palpable, but something that's a good introduction into mead making for my friends. So a lot of my friends, now that they spent time around me and I've given them mead, know what mead is. But before then, I was taking random meads I had to them. Some of them were like weird flavors, like lemon and lime and that stuff, which are not necessarily super uh, approachable. And so I wanted to make something that was uh, simple for them. So I, I made what I call my man-made sizer. A sizer is an apple, normally apple juice-based mead. And really this is, the sizer I make is, is apple juice base and actual apples as a base. Um, to give you an example, I made a six gallon batch of it this last time, and I got the ABV up to about 7%, six or 7%. I put, um, let's see, how much was it? Uh, I think I put three gallons of apple juice in three gallons of water. So I diluted the apple juice a little bit, but um, I also added some honey in. I can't remember how much honey I added in, but added enough to get up to that 7%. Once it had finished out, I actually stabilized the mead with potassium sorbate prior to adding my apples. Now, the interesting part here is that I added three different kinds of apples. In this most recent, recent batch I made, I made a I, I used Pink Lady Apples, Gala Apples, and Red Delicious Apples, I believe. So I used all three of those. And because of the combination of them and what each apple brought to the table, uh, I actually found that I got this really complex apple character because some of those apples are sweeter, some have more earthy tones, uh, some are brighter than others, and the, the combination worked really well. I'd used, I think, three pounds. What was it? Three, four... Maybe it was, uh, I think it was closer to five pounds for the six gallon batch. So it was like 15 pounds of apples. So quite a bit. The whole uh, conglomerate of all of them, of the apple juice and the honey that I'd used, all of it turned out to be really, really good. Um, oh, I also added a cinnamon or two cinnamon sticks after the apples to add the cinnamon flavor. And, um, Again, fantastic. I really liked it. It's very light, very crisp, um, really good on a summer day. Or even, um, because of the cinnamon side, you could kind of use it as a uh, more wintry drink, too. But it was approachable, which is important. I think it's really important to anybody brewing in general. Make sure your meads are approachable for people. While you are, I don't want you to ultimately make your mead for somebody else. If you plan on giving it out to people, you want to make sure that they they like it as well. Um, it's not bad to make your own meads for yourself and never share. However, I do believe that we have a duty as mead makers and brewers in general to take in, um, especially mead making, to get it out there and say to people, hey, this is what mead is, because that's what's going to help us grow and have more opportunity for other meads. So that's number five, my man-made sizer. And uh, I'll be, I'm, like I said, I'm actually recreating it again. I'm going to start it here very soon. I just spent probably 30 minutes today cutting up 25 pounds of apples. So I am, um, I'm on the track to do it again, which is nice. Um, number four, 
is my mixed berry mead. So this one was kind of thrown together. I made a just traditional mead and I wanted to do um, something with mixed berry. And as I was going through Sam's one day grocery shopping, I actually found a four pound bag of mixed frozen mixed berry medley. So it was blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, Oh, was it something else? Um, I can't remember what the last one was. I feel like I'm missing something. Anyways, it was a mixture of those darker fruits, berries, even though raspberry is not really dark. And I put that whole four pound bag into my one gallon, which was just a regular recipe. I think three pounds of honey and a gallon of water. And in the secondary, I should say. So I put that fruit in the secondary. It added such a rich and um i don't want to say dark flavor because it wasn't dark um it was kind of in between dark and bright it was very mellow but the the uh, frozen fruit side actually imparted more flavor than i had expected so i definitely enjoy mixed berry things in general but this because the um, cooperation between the honey and the mixed berry that I added created just a really interesting mead, and uh, a lot of my friends have really liked it as well. With a little bit of sweetness, I think that it could have been even better. I tried to, not this specific one I'm talking about, the one I'm talking, mixed berry I'm talking about was probably my favorite version. I tried to do it again one time and actually add um, maple syrup in to uh, to um, back sweeten it, and um, I guess I didn't add enough potassium sorbate at the time because the yeast kicked back up. Um, and I I know what I did. I on my little uh, teaspoon, like basically my measuring spoons, they're mislabeled, and so I wasn't paying attention. And I added only about half of the require the required potassium sorbate I needed to stabilize. And so the yeast were, they kind of won the battle, so to speak. And so when I added my, um, added the maple syrup in, it actually ended up re-fermenting and just being carbonated. The good news is I did not have any bottle bombs because I only lightly back sweetened it. I didn't pour a ton of maple syrup into it. Otherwise I would have ended up with a um, product that would have blown up on me. So if you're going to back sweeten, again, I've said this before, just make sure that you know your yeast are done if you want it to be a sweet situation and not just a bottle carbonation situation. We are now at the final three. The top three favorites I've ever made. Now this list is going to grow and change over time, but these are what it currently is. The number three is my sweet heat mead, as I call it. It is a pineapple and habanero um, mead, essentially. So what I do with this one, I've made it multiple times now, and it has proven to be successful with myself and other people. Um, I make it traditional with, let's say, like two and a half pounds of honey, a gallon of water, and then uh, whatever yeast you want to use. I don't remember exactly the yeast I used. I think it was the K1V116. Probably. Anyways, that combination of ingredients plus a um, 
jam. It's a brewing slash baking jam you can get from a company called Pot Liquor Kitchen, which they make brewing things and they make baking things. It is a pineapple and habanero, like I just said, jam. I put probably about two and a half ounces for every um, gallon of mead I make into that brew, and I let it set there for a while, probably two weeks, three weeks, or I taste test it to see how it's imparting flavor, because sometimes it imparts quicker, and I ended up uh, taking it off. One cautionary thing, if you do create that mead, is that the pot liquor kitchen jam stuff is, it becomes very... Uh, cloudy like it cloudies up your meat a little bit it also starts to sit at the bottom and it looks literally like clouds in the sky because it it kind of expands a little bit becomes this weird viscous looking thing so uh you, when you rack it you have to kind of rack off of that which is can be a little bit difficult after i add my flavoring and it sat there for a while i take and i stabilize it and i know that some people are listening to this podcast and going you stabilize way too many things you need to stop doing that um i don't i wanted to be able to comfortably back sweeten without a re-fermentation and the lauvin k1 v116 for anyone who's interested goes up to 18 percent so you're gonna have to put a heck of a lot of honey um in there before it stops fermenting so I had to back or had to stabilize. I stabilized it. And then after the meat is stabilized, added some more honey to back sweeten some. And the contrasting characters between pineapple, which is already a sweet-ish thing, and sweet from the honey were really nice in general. And then you throw in the middle of all that the habanero heat, which is not too strong. Um, it's very it's just a very, very good mead. It's, it was still, um, I did not want to carbonate it. In fact, I think the carbonation plus like heat from the habanero could have been conflicting. So I tried to stay away from that. But that one was really, really good. And I plan on making even more of it. It's, I think I'm about to start my third iteration of it. Super, super good. Uh, I would highly recommend trying it if you haven't already. And now we're at number two. This is uh, my second favorite I've ever made. I only have one, quote, true batch of it. It's my original Boche I ever made. Um, I think it was a total luck thing that I ended up making something as good as this turned out. Um, it could just be time. But I had used four pounds of, I think, probably the Desert Creek honey, something like that. I went through the Bocheing process. Uh, I don't remember how long I did it. I bet it, I think it was over an hour. And uh, so I started to get some different caramelizing, whatever, notes from it. And uh, maybe, I think maybe in hindsight, as I'm thinking about my list a little bit, I really like Bochets in general, but this Bochet is particularly fond to me because the flavors have, have had so much time to mellow out and meld together. The uh, various notes that I get from my honey or the honey I'd used, which I don't have my list of exactly everything there, but uh, it just it created this very smooth product. And one of the notes I put on here is that it had a lot of whiskey flavor. And I love that, again, um, being able to get that from that mead. So that one was four pounds of honey, a gallon of water, and probably a Lauvin yeast i don't remember exactly which one but it was 
about 14%. It's had almost three years now to sit and to get better. Turned into a fantastic thing. If you haven't made a bochet yet and you're listening to this, go do it, try it. It's It can be a little bit hazardous if you are reckless with it. If you um, boil, boil your honey in a big enough pot or in some other fashion and you just are really careful, uh, you're gonna end up with a good product. But if you do make a bochet, please, please, please be careful. Do not just throw honey into a shallow container and start boiling it because it does bubble up quite a bit, it does rise, it turns into something you have to watch, which is interesting and important to know. Now, number one, I've kind of mentioned this one previously on this list. It's what inspired one of my other ones, but my very original apple and cinnamon mead I ever made was, is my number one favorite I've ever done. It is what sparked the, the kind of this escapade to continue to create that mead um, because it, it just, the flavors of apple and cinnamon and honey just go so well together. And that's kind of, like I said earlier, inspired the man-made sizer. This version, the um, apple and cinnamon mead I made at the beginning was just heavier. So this mead I'm referring to, I had used four pounds of honey for every gallon of water. Um, and then Lavin yeast, I think like the K1V1, no, oh, I remember this one. It was the Lavin QA23. That was uh, a very good yeast for this one. I did the same thing. I added uh, probably three pounds of apples for every gallon of water. I put them in the secondary. Did I? No, with this one. Hold on, I'm having to remember now. I didn't know about the secondary at the time. I had put the apples into the primary of this one, um, and I put the cinnamon stick into the primary as well, let that ferment out, pulled it off of the, the uh, you know, in gen the fruit in general and meat in general, and then um, bottled it, did all that stuff. But because I had used that QA23, and I had four pounds of, uh, honey for every gallon. I actually capped out the yeast, which then left me with residual sweetness um, without having to worry about back sweetening or anything like that. So again, the honey uh, presence was a little higher, hotter than um, than if it had dried out. But that one's my favorite. Again, it inspired me to continue to make that same mead over and over and over again. And yeah, so I mean, sipping on this like strawberry and banana, and thinking about the um, the apple cinnamon mead, what I'm realizing and, and thinking about is every single mead you make needs time, and that's no surprise. I don't think anybody is surprised by that truth. I think it's important that we uh, embrace that truth. Just like wine in general, you need to let your brew have time to meld together in some form or fashion. And that time, you can you can churn out a mead in three months and drink it all. And it will be decent. However, th these things get better with time at, because honey is a complex flavor. Because the flavors we add to different meads are complex. The complexity requires um, just 
I keep saying the word time, but it requires time to meld together. Now the risky thing is, if you do store away your mead for three years, uh, there is no guarantee that you're going to end up with a product that is just fantastic. I sure hope that you're ending up with a product that you really like, um, but in truth, you might not. There could be a, a big question mark. It could end up bad. I just had a mead the other day that I let set for two years. Um, it turned out to be bad, and that's okay. But it did get better with time from its original state. So let your meads age. Be patient, make more mead while you're waiting. Um, or if you are not able to wait to drink your stuff, um, I mean, that's fine. You can go make a two month old mead and just drink it all and that's, that's okay. But try making beer in that case. Beer is like a quick turnaround. You could turn out a beer in a month and drink it all. And then it's, you know, not necessarily at its best, but it's pretty far up there. So. That's my top 10. Um, I don't have, I have plenty more I could talk about. I've used basically every fruit you can uh, think of at this point. Um, I've used a ton of different things in general. I do tests with yeasts all the time. That's one of my new things I really like doing is testing the differences between yeasts and seeing what works best. Uh, on the channel, I have a thing called the Yeast Shootout Series, where I take two different yeast, the same recipe, and I make them basically battle. And I choose at the end who or which one I like more. Um, I also have a thing called Mead Mythbusters, where I've been talking about a bunch of various other mead myths. Uh, I have a, a tournament, a mead tournament I've done, where I've actually competed some of these meads together to see which one works the best or has ended up the best, I should say. Uh, I, essentially, I have a bunch of stuff making meads and trying different things. So I will continue to do that. And this, my top 10 is definitely gonna change over time as I continue to get better at this. The very last thing I always like to do in these podcasts, and thank you for tuning in if you are sticking with me so far, if you're still with me, um, I like to talk about a mead success and a mead failure that I have had recently because I think it's important that you guys can um, learn from me and hopefully not make the same mistakes as me. And it's also just good to be human and admit that, hey, guess what? I make a lot of mistakes. I don't make perfect meads or, you know, whatever. My mead success that I have... Uh, I had this week, and I should say two weeks really, because these come out every two weeks. I I used that oak spiral in that mead as of recently, and I've actually put it into another one into a different mead. I'm really, really liking what oak spirals do to a mead, and the flavors they impart. Uh, I don't want to give you exact characters because every oak spiral is different, imparts different things. But oaking your mead is very similar to if you were to put it into a barrel. Uh, it adds extra flavors. It also in general takes and um, can kind of meld the flavors in a different way, if that makes sense. But I've really enjoyed getting to do that, adding, add smoke spirals. I think that's been a big success for me um, as far as emulating hopefully good brews for other people. Now, the mead failure, because I, I have a lot of these. 
It's not a huge thing, but I I normally buy honey buckets in 60 pound pails because I use a lot of honey. I find a honey I like and I've tried a bunch of them now, so I've been kind of sticking to a few different ones. But I did not clean up my honey bucket, the side of it, very well this last time I used it. And I ended up, because my brew space is currently in my enclosed garage, essentially, um, the the door seal's not like perfect, so I ended up having a bunch of ants get into my uh, cabinet. Now, luckily, they didn't get up into my cabinet and end up like getting into anything else, but they were definitely really enjoying all of the honey that I had left on the side of my honey bucket, and it was quite the pain to try and fix. So my encouragement to you is make sure you always clean your stuff well, not only sanitizing things before you do it, but after you finish, if you are slinging honey everywhere or you're forgetting it on the side of buckets, um, make sure you clean that off because that will save you a whole lot of heartache and um, pain in general when you're trying to fix it. So that's my mead failure. Again, not huge. It was a pretty easy fix, but still important to say. So thank you so much for watching. Uh, if you are on podcast land, uh, Spotify, you know, podcasts, whatever you're listening on, uh, there is a video version of this on the Man Made Mead Extras channel. So um, if you are watching on YouTube, you're seeing the video portion of this. And if you're listening to podcasts, go check out the video if you'd like to. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe on both of the channels, Man Made Mead Extras and Man Made Mead. I would love to know what you guys think about this podcast and all of my videos and things in general. So feel free to comment, leave me uh, your opinion, you know, good, bad, do you like it, do you hate it, you know, whatever. I would love to continue to grow and get better. Um, and your feedback is very, very valuable to me. So I hope you will take some of this information and run forward, go make some mead. If you are, um, if you are just getting involved in the mead making scene, um, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Feel free to ask questions. Uh, if you are like me and you've spent years making mead now, feel free to ask questions because we can still learn from one another. Um, I will never claim to know everything about the subject. In fact, I still feel like I have so much to learn, even after 100 meads. So that's not to be discouraging. That's just to be realistic. So. Thank you again for listening, for watching. Uh, leave your feedback below. Uh, rate all that stuff on podcast and leave a like, whatever, all that. And I will see you guys next time in another video or maybe the podcast or mead tasting or any of the other various things that I do on these channels. Have a great day. Cheers. Cheers.